Indeed, in a flash of greenery and glitter, Advent is upon us. I don't know who it was out there that was clapping for no glitter, but I am with you. (laughs) Let's talk about worship this year uh, in Advent. We are hosting a sermon series called What If? What If? Popular culture has been um, a bit mildly obsessed with the concept of the multiverse lately. That there could be infinite other universes, possibilities, each one stemming from a different set of decisions or a different set of circumstances that alter the course of what is to be. What if this happened instead of that? Where would we be? What would our lives look like? Well, we should note that the Marvel Cinematic Universe did not invent this concept. Honestly, if you go over to the Carborough Arts Center to see Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol with our very own Aaron Mike, Grace and Nora Kent, starring as the Cratchits, shout out. What you will find and experience is a what-if story. What happens if Ebenezer Scrooge fails to repent? What happens if he fails to become a more generous man? Well, across the next few weeks, we'll we'll be exploring some what-if scenarios from the Christmas story in Scripture. And we'll do so in the hopes that it might illuminate the gift of how the story actually did turn out. Now today we begin with the story of the husband and wife who birthed and raised Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. But before our reading today, I invite you to pray with me. It may not have been flawless, Lord, but the story is so very good. And we could all use some good news right now. So open us to the comfort as well as the calling of these old, old stories. Amen. A reading from Luke chapter 1. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, and even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
he will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I've got a question for you. Um, have you ever lived with somebody whose um, idea of preparing for company was a little bit different from your own? Anyone? Yeah, okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Got it. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've received this text message from Meg. Guests are arriving in two hours. Clean downstairs, please. That is exactly what I do. I clean. I sweep the floor. I vacuum the carpet. I Clorox the counters until they're gleaming white. I even fold the toilet paper up until an origami rose. Uh, that's not true at all. But I do clean, and I clean well. And every time, without fail, Meg will come home and say, I thought I asked you to clean. I did. Look at the counter. Look at those floors. You could eat off those floors. I see that it is clean, she says. But there's stuff all over the place. Books piled on the side table. Laundry baskets shoved in the corner. Dog toys on the floor in every room of the house. I would like to remind everybody at this point that the dog was not my idea. <laughs> well, at this point, Meg then flies into a flurry of tidying. Tidying is not cleaning. She tidies. Totally different. With great purpose, she starts flinging open cabinets and drawers and banging things into place. And let me tell you, it's just best to get out of the way. She is what her family calls buzzing. Meg comes from a long line of buzzers. They flit and they fly, and with great purpose, they make things ready. When it comes to making preparations, they are professionals. Zechariah was a preparations professional. As a priest, his job was to know all the right prayers at all the right times so that he could be ready at a moment's notice to perform his duties. But to make sense of this story, it might be helpful to, to describe the layout of the temple. It consisted of a number of chambers going inwards, and who you are determined how far 
you could go towards the center. On the outer rim was the court of the Gentiles. So if you were not Jewish, that is as far as you could go. And then there was the court of the women, of course, for Jewish women only. Then the hall of the Israelites, which referred to the men only, Jewish men only. Then there was a hall for the priests, and in there there was an altar for making animal sacrifices. And from there, further into the center, up some stairs from that altar, was the innermost part of the temple. And hardly anyone ever went in there. It consisted of two chambers, the holy place and the Holy of Holies, and they were separated from one another by a curtain. Now, the Holy of Holies, you had to be the high priest to go in there, and even he only went in one day a year on Yom Kippur. But every once in a while, one of the priests would be selected by lot, so randomly, to go into the holy place and to offer incense and pray on behalf of the people. Priests, though, could, they could live their entire lives, serve their entire lives, and never go into the holy place. Well, Zechariah belonged to one of the 24 sections of priests who would rotate in and out of service in the temple. And so, as fate would have it, he was selected to go and offer incense in the holy place. This truly was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So with incense in hand, he steps into that holy place, and he does precisely what he's trained his whole life to do. He burns that incense, and he offers the prescribed prayer on behalf of the people. He prays for the restoration of Israel, just as so many other faithful priests have done before him. After all, Zechariah is a professional. He is nothing if not prepared. But it would seem that Zechariah had a second prayer piggybacking on the first. A prayer that was not exactly sanctioned, but it was so close to his heart a prayer that some might have said was unprofessional on account of it being, well, too personal. You see, Zechariah had a prayer that he just could not let go of, a prayer for a child. He knew, he knew it was a silly prayer, worn threadbare for how long he'd held on to it. He and Elizabeth, they were awfully old now, but he just could not let it go. Or perhaps more accurately, that prayer would not let go of him. So, professional or not, as Zechariah stands in the holy place, he could not hold that prayer in one second longer. It came tumbling right out of him. I wonder if you have a prayer like that, one that is threadbare from how long you've held on to it. Perhaps you too are praying or have prayed for a child to have a baby. 
Perhaps you had your babies long ago, but you have not stopped worrying about them since. The challenges they face have only become more frightening as they have grown, and you can't stop feeling anxious about their future. Or maybe your prayer reaches back to your own childhood. Perhaps you're seeking some semblance of peace for something that happened a long time ago. Maybe an injury you endured. Perhaps an injury you inflicted. Or maybe your prayers for a relationship that has ruptured and shows no signs of recovery. The point is, I, I don't know what your prayer might be. But perhaps you also feel foolish for praying it so persistently. I have got to think that Zechariah muttered this threadbare prayer into that holy place, expecting absolutely nothing to happen. But then something did happen. Something very big happened. Suddenly there's this angel right next to him saying, your prayer has been heard, Zechariah. Now, I can't say for certain, but I do wonder if Zechariah's first thought was, which one? Which prayer's been heard? The, the one I'm supposed to pray? The one about restoring the kingdom of Israel? The one about God lifting my people out of despair? The one about God renewing within us that conviction that we can be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth? Is that the prayer God heard? Or did God hear the other prayer, the one I wasn't supposed to pray in the first place, the prayer of a foolish old man who longs to hold a child in his arms? Which prayer did God hear? And what if the angel's response was simply, Yes, big yes, all of the above, yes. This is good news, very good news, but it would seem it's too good to believe because then Zechariah asks a fateful and frankly idiotic question. How will I know this is so? This is one of those moments where tone really matters. I don't know if angels are capable of speaking with sarcasm, but I sure hope so. How will you know? How will you know? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's how you know. And if that is not answer enough for you, well, I don't know what to do with you, Zechariah. But from this point forward, Zechariah, the professional priest, the wizard of wordsmithing, is struck mute. He has no capacity to tell anybody about what he has seen, about what he has heard. So he steps out of the holy place and right back into the normal place. But lo and behold, Elizabeth did become pregnant, just as the angel promised. Trimesters come and go. Neighbors say to Elizabeth, isn't it just terrible that as soon as you're pregnant, Zechariah can't speak a word. 
She replies with a snort. Actually, it's working out pretty well for both of us. <laughs> but indeed, he cannot speak a single word. I wonder why. The sermon title is, What If Zechariah Believed the First Time? And the title alone suggests there's something deficient about Zechariah, that being struck mute is some kind of punishment for his failure of faith. If he had only trusted the good news, he could have spoken hope to a people down in the pits. He could have summoned all of his skill with the spoken word to inspire courage and confidence in a brighter tomorrow. You know, I'd always read this story that way, that the silence is a punishment. That is until my friend Becca, who's as fine a preacher as you'll hear, she invited me to see it a different way. What if? What if the silence is a gift? Not a punishment, what if the silence is an invitation to remember that sometimes all of our buzzing to and fro, all of our professional preparations, and all of our carefully chosen words only get in the way? And our obsession with explanations, our relentless need to answer that question, how, how will I, how will I know this is to come? What if all of that is besides the point? Some things are too holy for something as feeble as words. Now let me, a fellow words professional, say that again. Some things are too holy for something as feeble as words. So what if Zechariah wasn't being punished, but rather invited to discover the gift of silence. Would it not be perfect if human silence preceded the word of God becoming flesh? How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Today we lit the candle of hope. And if hope is what you seek, but you find it in short supply, what about taking a page from the pregnant pause of Zechariah? This Advent, try staying still. Try saying less. Try surrounding yourself with those who know how to keep a holy silence. And don't do this because your faith is insufficient. And don't do this because that second prayer of your heart is ridiculous and not worthy of God's attention. Now be silent so you can hear what God is saying. Yes, in the holy place. And yes, in the normal place. Yes, in the painful place, the joyful place, in every place. 
Amen.